Father, you are good, and you are worthy of our worship and praise, and we come before you wanting your will to be done. Lord, you have invited us into your kingdom, and we praise you for that. And so I pray that you would speak to us now by your spirit, that you would be present in this place by your spirit in such a way that we uh, leave filled with joy, with peace, with contentment, uh, with a challenge to go out and, and love you and love our neighbor as ourself really, really well. So we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. To, today we begin a series on Esther. Um, and I'm going to be transparent with you this morning. My goal is to essentially set the stage for the rest of the series. Okay, my goal is to, to set the stage for the next four weeks. So because of that, there's going to be a lot of summary and a lot of info. All right, so the first half of the sermon uh, may be a little slow, I'm giving you a heads up, but I know you can hang with me, and at the end, I will attempt to apply it. So first, some background information. If you were here early enough, you heard some of this in the video that we saw um, by the Bible Project on Esther. Um, I'm going to share with you some of it before we read Esther 1 and 2. The story of Esther takes place about 100 years after the, ba the Babylonian exile of the Jews. Okay, if that makes no sense to you, let me fill you in. The Jews were exiled from Israel and from Judah um, to a place called Babylonia under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar in 597 BC. Okay, so almost 600 years-ish before uh, Jesus was born. Um, the Persian Empire then overtakes the Babylonian Empire, okay? And King Cyrus, who then is the king of Persia, he was instrumental in allowing the Jews to return back to the promised land, okay? And to rebuild the temple. Think of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is where we see this story take place. Even though many of the Jews decided to actually return back to, to Israel, to Judah, um, some of the Jews actually decided not to, and they decided to stay. So the book of Esther is about a group of Jews living in the capital city of the Persian Empire, okay? A city named Susa, S-U-S-A, all right? Not a ton of background, but I hope that at least gets us all in the same place as we look um, at Esther 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, if you have your phone, turn to the book of Esther. I'm not sure if we're using the Pew Bibles at this point. If, if we are, you can turn to page 410. Uh, the words will also be on the screen. And because of the length of Esther 1 and 2, I'm actually going to have it read for us this morning. So Esther chapters 1 and 2. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, 
mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Biktha, and Abaktha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Edmatha, Tarshish, Miris, Marcina, and Mimukin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus, delivered by the eunuchs? Then Mimukin said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princess, and the king did as Mimukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household, and speak according to the language of his people. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti, and what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men, who attended him, said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem, in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashtai. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem, among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace, 
and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being twelve months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, in custody of Sheashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again, unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashtai. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai, just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Tiresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the present. All right, I want to make two uh, main points this morning before I share with you ultimately my, my main point. Um, so number one comes from chapter one, and what I'm going to do is summarize it um, as well. What I've taken away from chapter one is, is simply this, the king's arrogance leads to his ignorance. The king's arrogance leads to his ignorance. Listen to this, okay? King Ahasuerus, which took me a while to learn to pronounce, but King Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, okay, reigned from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. And think about this. He had a party for how long? 180 days. Think about all you do in 180 days. 180 days ago from today was February 3rd. Think about all that has happened since then, especially this year. We'll talk about some of that later, but, but the point is during this time, Okay, today you would be just getting done with one giant party that started on February 3rd. And this party was specifically for people of importance and people of status. It was elegant. It was a big deal. 
And the first thing we learn is that the king has some resources and the king is not afraid to use them. And get this, the party was so good that 180 days wasn't enough, so he extended it for another seven days. Um, you know when you're, when you're having such a good time, you don't want something to end, okay? Uh, this was so for King Ahasuerus, and he made the party go seven more days. And this party was for anyone who wanted to come. It was even fancier than the one before. There was beautiful scenery and an open bar that was bottomless. Okay, the edict is there is no compulsion, meaning drink as much as you want, and when you've had enough, have some more. Also, we find the queen. Okay, Queen Vashti, or Vashti, depending on who's speaking. Queen Vashti uh, gave a feast for all the women during these seven specific days. So we have uh, King Ahasuerus throwing an extended party, while the queen over here by herself is throwing her own party for seven days. The king then summons the queen, Queen Vashti, to appear before all of his guests at the party. And what does she do? She declines. How ironic, right? Think about it this way. The, the king throws a party for all involved to display his glory, to display his splendor, to display his, his majesty, and to impress all the people. He did this to show that, that he is in control, right? That he is king. However, as the reader we see that he is very quickly put in his place because his very own wife doesn't even listen to him. The king gets upset, all right, essentially divorces Queen Vashti and then makes a ridiculous decree all across the land that all women should be subject to their own husbands because of Queen Vashti's refusal to be degraded to a piece of property and to be put on display before all the guests of the party. The king's arrogance leads to his ignorance. Question for you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been so arrogant that you believe everyone around you thinks the same way that you do? thinks that you are as great as you think you are? So arrogant that you don't even see your own flaws until someone else points them out and you're, then you're just absolutely crushed? I've been there, and I still am sometimes. And I would encourage you to repent. Ask God to open up your eyes so that your ignorance fades away and then ask God to give you Christ's humility. The humility that we see in Philippians chapter 2, which Vic read the first part. Paul later says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The king's arrogance leads to his ignorance. Pride leads him to not realizing what people may actually think about him. Don't be like the king. 
chapter 2. Summary and point number two is this. Esther and Mordecai's obedience leads to grace and favor. We see that, that uh, Esther earns grace like three or four times. And then the last time it says that she earns grace and favor. And I think we can lump Mordecai into that as well. Let's see why. Um, the king calms down. He is no longer drunk. Um, and he realizes, oh, I don't have a queen, right? Uh, so what does he do? He throws a beauty pageant uh, for all women throughout the entire kingdom. And remember how big this kingdom is, the Persian Empire, uh, from India to Ethiopia, all right? Essentially, East Asia to Africa, all right? There should be a map on the screen. This is the Persian Empire, 127 provinces. And for you numbers people, almost 3 million square miles, And last number, almost half of the world's population lived in this region during this time. So he's going to search for one woman out of all those people. And guess what? He liked that idea, of course, right? Um, And this is where we're introduced to a young girl named Esther and a man named Mordecai. Both are Jews, And Mordecai has actually adopted Esther as his daughter and is bringing her up to Susa to compete in this beauty pageant, to be the next queen. We find out a few things about Esther, and one of the most important right away, other than the fact that she is a Jew, is that she had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. She gained the approval of the king, and she made it on to the next round and became a part of of the king's harem. One important side note, uh, besides Mordecai, and this will be important the rest of the way, besides Mordecai, no one knows that Esther is a Jew. Okay, and he tells her, don't tell anyone. She obeys Mordecai, otherwise the rest of the story would be derailed. So, they begin to get ready for this contest. Did Did you catch the details? How long did the preparations take? 12 months. 12 months. Six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments. And after a woman would go through this 12, a young girl would go through this 12 months of preparation, um, she would go and appear before King Ahasuerus and try to win his favor. Of course, who wins? Esther, right? The king loved Esther more than all the other women and won grace and favor in his sight. She did it. The new queen of Persia, Queen Esther. The king throws a party to celebrate his new queen. And the last part, I told you, let's get through this. Last summary here, last part of chapter two. Um, Mordecai, who will be a major part of the story the rest of the way, is sitting at the king's gate. Let me tell you what the king's gate is. This is a place of business. This is where important things happen. Mordecai shouldn't be there, but he's there. How did he end up there? Um, We are never told, but I believe we can be 99.9% sure that Esther, the now queen of Persia, got him this job. Okay, to sit at the king's gate. This is a high-level position. Um, Think the president's cabinet in our society. 
And while he was there, he overhears this plot of two of the king's men. These two men want to lay hands on the king. Essentially, they want to kill the king because they have become angry with him. Mordecai then tells Esther, who tells the king, who has these two men, um, and there is some debate among scholars on the next translation, but, but these men are either one, hung on the gallows, two, impaled with a wooden stake, or three, nailed to a tree. Sound familiar? The king then has this whole account that I've shared with you this morning recorded in which he will later recall in a few chapters. Obedience leads to grace and favor. Do you see the difference between King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther? One filled with, with arrogance and pride and the other filled with humility and submission. Think about it this way. When, when the king is searching for his next queen, what does he value? Essentially one thing. Appearance. How these young teenage girls look. Why? Because he's ignorant. Okay, he, he doesn't realize, he doesn't know that the beauty is fading. All the while, we have Esther over here who is obedient. She is humble. And this posture earns her grace and favor, not only from the king, but from all the people who are watching. Parents, think of, think of your children. And this will either be a good thing or a bad thing. But when your child obeys, favor is granted, right? Trust takes the next step. Trust is granted. But if your child is ignorant and blind to his or her actions, frustration sets in. Disappointment sets in. Anger sets in. Obedience leads to grace and favor. So where do we go from here? Um, if you have not listened to anything that I have said this morning, first off, I don't blame you. Second off, listen to this. Okay, tune in. Starting on June 18th, I challenged some high school students and some others, some of my friends, uh, to read the entire Bible in 60 days. Okay? 60 days. Our plan had us read Esther in one entire day. Um, and I specifically asked the students uh, the day before, I knew they were going to read Esther, um, to text me and just share with me what they noticed about the book of Esther. Macy Nafsinger, who I have permission to share this uh, by her, responded with this. I always find it interesting that God is never mentioned in the whole book of Esther. I think this is on purpose, though, she says. The author wants us to realize that even though God isn't mentioned, you still see his fingerprints all over the book in the way things worked for good. The author wants to challenge us to seek God and find God when he seems to be absent. Similar to my message thus far, God is never mentioned in the entire book of Esther. And you might have caught that from the video before we started. 
Never. Not once. However, what I want you to know this morning and really for the rest of the series is this. Even if God seems absent, know that he is always present. Even if and when God seems absent, know that he is always present. So as we look at the following eight chapters the next four weeks, even though God is never mentioned, challenge yourself to find God, as Macy said, and his fingerprints all over the story. Things happen that that don't make sense unless God is involved. For example, take Esther, a young Jewish girl. She should have already been back in Israel, been back in the promised land. But she stays, though, for some reason. And out of a search of almost, or of three million square miles, half of the world's population, from India to East Africa, she is picked. She is the next queen. And then her now adopted father, Mordecai, who is also a Jew, is placed in a position of power in the entire Persian Empire. Come on. Right? You see it? God's hand is and will be all over this story, even though he is never mentioned. So, where do we go from here? Why are we preaching on this right now? What does this have to do with us as 21st century followers of Jesus? Let me show you. January 9th, 2020, the World Health Organization announces mysterious coronavirus-related pneumonia in Wuhan, China. January 21st, the Center for Disease Control confirms the first United States coronavirus case. March 11th, the World Health Organization declares COVID-19 a pandemic. March 13th, President Donald Trump declares national emergency and travel ban to Europe. March 21st, the state of Illinois enters a stay-at-home order. April 17th, the state of Illinois closes in-person classes for the rest of the school year. And May 28th, the United States COVID-19 deaths pass 100,000 mark. Or how about this timeline? February 23rd, 2020, Ahmad Arbery shot and killed while jogging in Georgia. May 5th, video of Ahmad Arbery's murder released. May 25th, George Floyd murdered in Minnesota. May 26th, protests and riots begin in Minnesota and quickly spread across the country and even the world. Where is God? Seriously. 
Where is he? While the king of Persia had a party that lasted for six months, we have had six months of confusion, of brokenness, and seemingly a world with an absent God. How could God be real? How could God be good? How could God be present in this situation? Like Esther, where God may seem absent to the untrained and naked eye, we have lived in a period of time where God seems absent once again. However, I am here to confidently and boldly tell you that that is not true. Amen? That that is not true. God is not a clockmaker who created the world to tick and now sits back and is not involved. He is with you. He is with me. He is with us. I don't claim to know why this has happened and what he may want to do with us and with the world moving forward. But what I do know is that like Esther, he works in ways that often don't make sense to us and nothing is too difficult for him. If you are in a place this morning where you are struggling to find God amidst the past few months. May I encourage you to find him in two very, very simple and practical ways. First, find God through prayer and through reading of the scriptures. I know these are cliched Sunday school answers, but they are, there's a reason that they're the Sunday school answers. And if you're here and you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to start my Bible reading. I've tried to pray, but I can't. Um, I don't have it figured out, but I found something that has worked really, really well for me, and I would love to talk about that with you afterwards. Find God through prayer and scripture reading. And secondly, and maybe more importantly during this time, find God through community. We have isolated ourselves long enough. We need each other. The body is given to us so that when some of us are down, others can bring us up. Church, let's, let's pursue God together. Let me get super practical. Here are some ideas that you can do today or this week. Number one, just find a friend, go on a walk with them, and spend the whole time in prayer. Number two, have a family over, eat a meal together, and just simply ask the question, how have you seen God work in your life over the past few months? Another one, get a small group of people together. This one may be a little more uncomfortable. But grab a guitar or turn on some music and spend a half hour just singing praises and hymns to God. Or have some friends over and sit down 
and open up the letter to the Ephesians and read the entire thing together. No study, no in-depth look, just let God's word rest on you. And lastly, maybe the most radical, do some research on what a Sabbath is and observe one with your family. When we love God together as a community, we begin to realize who we were created to be. And then we can be launched into mission with one another. Unfortunately, that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But I'll leave you with this. Even if God seems absent, know that he is always present. Let's pray. Lord, before you created the world, uh, you knew that we would be here in this moment, and you knew, um, Lord, the past six months that we have had was going to happen, and yet you are still good, and you are still present, and you are still God, because you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the letter A, and you are the letter Z, beginning and end. And so as we pray and as we sing now in response to this, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit and that we would be submissive and we would have a heart of surrender to obey whatever you put on our hearts. So we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.